What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to National Board Conversations. Recently, the National Board was awarded a grant with the Center for Black Educator Development to assist in rebuilding the Black Teacher Pipeline. On this episode of National Board Conversations, I speak with Milton Allen Turner. He's part of the 1.3% of educators identifying as black men and is in an even smaller group of black male MBCTs. Milton Allen joins me from Cleveland, Ohio to discuss his journey in the classroom, his path to National Board certification, and what the National Board can do to assist in rebuilding the black teacher pipeline. I won't hold you much longer. Here's my conversation with Milton Allen Turner. Milton Allen Turner, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to be here. <laughs> all right, all right. So we'll get right into it. What is your current role? And give a brief inventory of yourself. And then I got a few questions to get a little bit more on the personal side. Okay, great. I um, teach French and Spanish at St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland, Ohio. I've been teaching there for 37 years, although not always as a teacher. I spent three years as an administrator, then went back in the classroom. And I've also done some post-secondary teaching. I started off actually at Clark College in Atlanta teaching where I first got the education bug and then got um, convinced to move back to my hometown of Cleveland. And then I've also taught some education and um, French classes at Cleveland State University. So originally in high school, I thought I was never going to teach. I thought I was going to be an attorney. And I'm 60 years old. I think my mother still thinks one day I'm going to go to law school. But once I first started teaching, just that aha moment and seeing students get it, I got the bug and it's kept me there for 38 years. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you said you went to administration and then back to the classroom. That's not yes. something that happens very often. What made you go back to the classroom? Uh, I can't deal with dumb adults. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that. I understand that students don't understand things, and that's part of the job is to help them come to an understanding and a clarity. I ran into too much groupthink in administration. I also insisted on teaching one class while I was an administrator. I kept teaching AP French um, literature at the time and because I thought it was important to be on bell time as well as clock time to understand first, second, third period and not just 12 o'clock and 12.30. And for some administrators, that was a problem. And they thought, well, you need to choose. You need to be either a teacher or an administrator. I'm like, well, why can't I be both? And when forced to choose that, actually, I, um, <laughs> the person that replaced me ended up leaving. And so I decided, well, rather than hiring another French teacher, I'm going to go back in the classroom and hire another administrator. Nice. And I'm happier there. <laughs> and actually, the dirty little secret is administration is easy. In administration, you've got administrative support. You've got time. It's in the classroom where you're on the high wire and doing everything by yourself. It's hard, but like um, the movie um, A League of Their Own, that it's, that's what makes it great. It's supposed to be hard, but that's the fun part. Administration is not that challenging. Okay, 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 okay. So what are your three favorite foods? Oh, my favorite food. I love almost any kind of chicken. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, normally fried, but fried, baked, roasted as any kind of chicken. Um, Jambalaya and shrimp creole. I'm a real big Louisiana. Oh, man, I just got back from New Orleans, actually. (laughs) Oh, that's Louisiana, uh, New Orleans, and Montreal are like my two, in North America, those are my two favorite cities to eat. The food is just phenomenal. I eat myself silly. (laughs) I got to go to Montreal. I grew up in Massachusetts, Springfield, Massachusetts, about four and a half hours south of Montreal, but I've never been. But I have a bunch of family from New Orleans, so I've been there quite a few times. (laughs) I love New Orleans. Oh, yeah. It's like the spicy of the better. Oh, yeah. I love a good jambalaya. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Three songs that define you. 
three songs that define me. Uh, I'm a old school uh, funk fan, so P Funk from Parliament Funkadelics, one of my favorite. The live version, especially. Okay. okay. Um, but then I also love um, jazz and jazz fusion. So um, actually, the last week I've been thinking a lot about this other one, uh, Romantic Warrior, with um, Return of Forever. Largely because I was thinking that um, Al Diviello, the guitarist that was in the group with Stanley Clark and Lenny White and Chick Corea, had a heart attack. But that was one of the first songs for me where jazz fusion, where the group got funky all on acoustic instruments. Where before with jazz fusion, I was used to Herbie Hancock and synthesizers and the thump and bass. But this was just four acoustic musicians <laughs> getting down and getting funky in jazz on acoustic. And I also love Brazilian music, so Javan Stiganu is a song that I love, but just the double entendres of <laughs> talking about being a gypsy and hey, why break and, <laughs> Yeah. I'm as my girlfriend says, I'm sort of a um I'm a closeted musician. I play a little bit of keyboards and um bass and guitar, oh, but never in a group, just for myself. And <laughs> I had a heart attack about fifteen years ago from being a bad smoker for years and finally stopped and I needed to have a good habit to replace that, so I got a little bit more heavily into music. So it's just my therapy. I get on my keyboards or my bass or my guitar and just play for me to just, that's my therapy. That's my <laughs> relaxing time. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. And uh, the one sports team that has your heart, and if you're not oh, the fourth person, you're oh, movie TV or book character of all time. Oh, I'm a Clevelander, so the Cleveland Guardians, uh, okay. for the Indians, it's, uh, that's, I've been a baseball fan my whole life, and I learned it from my mother. Most people learn baseball or sports or things from their father, but my mother grew up in um, southeast Missouri, and her father was a Negro Leagues catcher, so awesome. it's just baseball was sort of in my blood and family, and my mother was teaching me how to keep score and things when I was younger, so I've always been a baseball fan from that, but just... Still haven't seen a championship in my lifetime. And still, oh, oh, <laughs> 95 and 97 and 16, so still hoping. <laughs> like, they give it, they're giving you hope that they that they could get there. So it's exactly. they're trying to get over the hump. <laughs> and it's typically being a Cleveland fan, except for thanks to LeBron coming back <laughs> and getting the basketball championship. But every year, it's like, maybe next year. The Browns, oh, maybe next year. The Guardians, maybe next year. We always have hope. That's <laughs> We're resilient in Cleveland. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. So. You spoke a little bit earlier. You didn't expect to be a become a teacher. You was expecting to be an attorney or a lawyer or any of that stuff. Right. So why I, did you become a teacher and what makes you remain in the classroom? Um, I became a teacher by accident. I um, When I was in college, I studied languages. I was a French and linguistics major, did my um, junior year abroad at Nice, and I thought I was going to be, again, either international attorney or maybe foreign correspondent getting into journalism. But when I studied abroad, I... Living in France and coming back, my whole viewpoint changed. And so I didn't know whether I wanted to go into corporate law anymore. I got a much more acute sense of social justice and other things and just decided that probably wasn't for me. So um, I now they sort of call it a gap year. But after I graduated, I went and lived in Atlanta with my brother and father and did all kinds of odd jobs. And one of those ended up being teaching part time. My brother was a senior at Clark College, and he wanted to introduce me to his French teacher at the time. So after I studied in France and came back, we got to know each other. And an opening came up where one of their teachers had to go on medical leave. So they needed somebody to replace the teacher for the remainder of the semester. And so I was doing that while bartending and doing all kinds of odd jobs and thought, well, this is just a way to pay the bills. But as I said, I got the bug just seeing 
that excitement and some, well, again, a lot of students aren't excited and don't care, but seeing those students that are excited, that want to get it. And when you can explain something and you get that aha moment that sort of <laughs> hooked me into it. And then by accident, my old French teacher here in Cleveland found out that I was teaching down there and through my mother and family members had let me know that there was an opening at my old high school where I was a student then. So I came back and interviewed and 37 years later, I'm still there. And it's largely because of the students that every year, even if you're teaching the same material, the students are different, the experiences are different. And even after 37 years, I don't know what to expect. There's always something that surprises me. They always come up with, I can expect 70 to 80% have a pretty good idea what's coming, but there's a 10 to 20% where it's like, damn, I didn't expect that. <laughs> oh man. They, okay, keep me, okay. they keep me young, they keep me honest and keep me on my toes. <laughs> Oh, man, that sounds awesome. And now you're National Board Certified, so we'll push you to pursue certification. Um, actually, uh, men are teachers. So I like, like I said, the French teacher that um, convinced me to come back to Cleveland, who was my former French teacher, uh, was an AP reader. And so because of him, I ended up becoming involved in the AP grading and um, in national um, organizations. And he had told me about this National Board um program that was going on. At that time, they didn't have it in languages yet. They were still experimenting and were planning on having it in languages, but they hadn't quite. And so um, from his input, I decided to keep following along with it. And when they did the first year, just out of accidentally, I couldn't, I, I wasn't able to complete the um, certification the first year or apply the first year, largely because Ohio <laughs> was paying for it. But then there were, I, my application got stuck. It didn't get through. I didn't get the um, fee in time. So then the next year, the second year, I was able to hook up with several teachers in Cleveland who were language teachers through Ohio Foreign Language Association who got certified the first time through. And so <laughs> God's hands in there instead of me going through the first time because I said, no, wait a year. And then I got to meet three other teachers who went through the process, got to learn from their experiences. And so I was part of the second cohort um, year of language teachers and French teachers and was fortunate enough to make it the first time because I heard particularly that time in the early 2000s, not only was the passing rate very low, but even lower for minorities and even more so in languages. And so fortunately, listening and following these three colleagues' um, suggestions, I was able to make sure that my portfolio had what it needed and <laughs> dotted my eyes and crossed my T's and was fortunate enough to make it the first time through. So you achieved on your first try? Yes. And largely thanks to <laughs> the input of, there was a mentoring system in Ohio and I did, and nothing against the mentor that I had. She was very good, but it was sort of like a history or generic mentor. So it helped on some of the notes and bolts and how to go through the old box and the um, oh, filling man. out the forms and mailing we're everything. experimenting with bringing something <laughs> similar to the box. <laughs> actually, I actually enjoyed the box. When I yeah, went through right. renewal going online, that I had more problem with. But there was something sort of comforting about putting everything together in the box and seeing physical artifacts of everything that I did. Yeah, you know, I actually, I complain about it when I did it. It's like working out or exercising. I hate doing it, but I like having done it. So right. you know, the box was a pain going through it, but afterwards, like, damn, this is pretty impressive. And it's like reassuring. It's like, oh man, like I'm submitting all of this work. 
Exactly. <laughs> well, when you put it online, it's like, did it go through it? You really don't, right, you don't see the magnitude of it or the full scale of it when you're just uploading documents. But yeah, when you put the box and the, the two VHS tapes in there, oh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even CDs at the time. I'm old enough where it was VHS tapes my first time through. <laughs> Oh, man. So what was the most uh, helpful coaching conversation or resource or piece of advice you think you received while you were uh, going through the process? The best piece of advice I had was always going back to the students, that there were certain things that I was doing. And we as teachers, we always get caught into it through our systems and administration that we do things that may help the district or help us as teachers. But for the national board process, it was how does this affect the students and student learning? And if it doesn't help the students, take it out, focus on something else. So it was a really a moment of clarity of what am I, how does what I do affect my students and help them become better learners? And that for me was a very important focus that we don't, we have a limited amount of time to do things and some things I had to let go where it's like, yeah, this isn't helping me in my classroom. It's not helping my students. I don't need to be involved in it. <laughs> No, that's that's right. And we like one thing we like to other well, other MBCTs have talked about is involving your students in the process. Exactly. <laughs> having them involved makes it not only easier on you, but it gets them more intrigued and in being better and things like that. So it's definitely something to think about. And that's one of the things for me. I was just like involving the students in it I found fascinating and important because it reinforced their sense of worth and importance. It's like not only is my teacher going for this thing, but he thinks I'm important enough to that involve me in the process and explain the process so well. If I've got this teacher going for this advanced certification, then I must be worthy. I must be great. And all students are. But the more that we can convince them of that, because one of my big worries in education is that we're really creating a system of have and have nots. And there are some students in, and I teach in a public school, I mean, in a private school. Um, but it really bothers me that public education is being devalued and we're not putting the money, resources, and respect into public education that we need. And I'm afraid we're going to have to pay for that in a generation or so. That bill's coming. And unless we really pay attention to give all students the quality education that we need, we all are going to suffer. So how did becoming an NBCT impact your career? Um, on the one hand, it opened up a lot of professional activities. It made me much more involved in um, national organizations. I've attended a couple of the um, um, national conferences. Um, it made me more involved in national organizations. The first couple of years, it was nice. Also in Ohio for a few years, we did end up having a pay increase, although that disappeared pretty quickly. Hey. But but for me, the most important thing, more than the pay increase, they also got rid of support for teachers initially applying, and that's something I'd really like to see come back, is that even though um, the prices have gone down, it's a five-year now instead of the 10-year, a lot of the barriers are being removed, it's still for some teachers that initial payment <laughs> can still be a big deal. And I'd love to see our state at least go back to that, at least funding the process to let teachers get in, because that's a huge barrier for some teachers, particularly younger teachers. But uh, for me, it opened up a, a, a lot of networking opportunities to be able to connect with other teachers and also to begin to work with younger teachers. But that pipeline is getting <laughs> narrower and narrower. Fewer people are coming through there. And as much as we're trying to get people through, it's getting harder and harder. And frankly, if I were in college right now in my 20s, I'm not sure I'd go into teaching. 
I'd be thinking long and hard about it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tough. It's tough. So you're a big sci-fi fan. So first question, DC or Marvel Comics? <laughs> oh, I'm DC. Um, and yeah, I love both. But growing up uh, with DC, Marvel, particularly as a young black man, I didn't read comic books to read about somebody else's problems. I didn't care that Peter Parker <laughs> couldn't pay his rent or something. I read comics to read somebody kick somebody's butt. I want Batman to kick the Joker's butt. I want Superman to beat Luthor. So I wanted the great archetype heroes of good and evil. I didn't want to know about the problems. and yeah, Now, just I want to see some butt whooping. <laughs> yes, I'm here for it. Who are your three favorite characters? Uh, well, I, I was the Batman was one of my big. I was a big fan of that. Um, the Green Lanterns originally Hal Jordan, but eventually as well John Stewart. Just the idea that you're with your mind and your will, you can construct and create anything. I just love it. You know, as a young black man, I just love that. It's like I can make anything I imagine come into reality. And uh, and Hawkman, the Thanagorian warrior, just okay, like that's different. That's different. I like it. <laughs> and it's just always like, and it wasn't originally at first the old the original versions of Hawkman or the the classic Golden Age that was a reincarnated Egyptian god, but the Thanagorian warrior from another planet was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. He's just the badass warrior. <laughs> I love it. So, have you ever used science fiction in different languages in your classrooms? Um, I tried. To, I've tried to. Um, what I often do is, if not, because um, there are some, like Pierre Boulle um, wrote um, the uh, Planet of the Apes, and sometimes I'll use um, some excerpts of that, and Boileau Narsajak, a couple of uh, fantastic writers. But what I often do in languages, we spend a lot of time talking about perspectives and getting students to re- understand the perspective of another. And so I often joke that, in, particularly in science fiction, understanding the perspective of black sci-fi fans, a black sci-fi fan or time traveler is never going into the past. For black people, it's always about the future. And so the more that we can understand um, why that's the case, the why for many people of color, there were no good old days in the past, and we always want to see something better that we're always looking for the better. Well, again, for some people of privilege, yeah, the past might be nice to go back and revisit, but with me, it's like, oh, no, there's nothing in the past I want to see or revisit again. I've just always got to hope the future's going to be better. <laughs> like, it was all bad. Like, <laughs> all right, so you talked about you're a black male in the classroom, very rare and becoming even more rare nowadays. What do you think has been the leading cause behind the decline of black male educators? Um, <laughs> money. <laughs> As my grandmother used to say, um, money can't buy everything, but poverty can't buy a damn thing. That a lot of t- that for many black males that sit in college in their twenties, if you're looking at different opportunities and what's available, why would you go into a profession that pays next to nothing and now has very little respect? At least forty years ago, when I started. The pay wasn't great, but in the community, people said, oh, well, you're a teacher. That was something that was respected and honored in the community. That's really not the case anymore. It's almost, you're going into teaching? Why, you fool? Going to <laughs> going to banking or law or medicine or something else, it's even, there's not a prestige in it anymore. And so I think it's that double whammy of the time that you're going to have to take to go in and get a degree or probably a, a master's degree in education as well as in your field to start off and get paid 50 to 60% less than you in another field and to be disrespected by the general public and by school boards. <laughs> it, it's just a bad combination. Yeah. Like it's, it's, and also like the, 
I feel like the kids are more disrespectful. Mm-hmm. So you're just not getting any kind of leeway and any grace anywhere. Right, and that normally that should be your your haven of your race as you go in and with the students. But right, but even if the students are starting to disrespect you because they're buying into, oh well, those who can't do and those who can't teach. So I've got the leftovers here in front of me instead of recognizing that this is somebody who's got skills and is there to help them achieve their best selves. Yeah, that just <laughs> and like not to blame the kids because they're just monitoring what they see, right? Exactly right. They're just hearing what what the society, what the parents and others are saying them. And normally, this it takes most teachers end up good teachers are able to chip away at that, and then the students see beyond that. But right, their first day in the classroom, all they hear like teachers and teachers unions are incapable people that can't make it anywhere else, and they just want the summer vacations and the days off. All right, so. What are a few things schools can do to become more welcoming to black male educators? Um, well, hopefully what they could do is maybe follow what some of the other fields do. Like here in Cleveland, there's a lot in healthcare with Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals. And so they do things like well, increased pay, loan mm-hmm. forgiveness, helping with housing or low-cost mortgages or housing allowances. Just, Maybe things like that in education for thinking out of the box of just if you're going to go into education, we realize you're not not be getting the pay that you need, but bringing back things like after five, six years, having some loan forgiveness or having help in getting housing or low interest mortgages to get in to become part of the community. There's something to help supplement that. And also to, to bring back some of the respect to show these are things that show we value you and we value education and value what you're going to do for our students where we seem to be doing that in medical professions and others, but not in education. No, exactly. That's exactly right. Like there just needs to be more opportunities because teachers affect every profession out there, right? Exactly. None of them are, none of them are available without a solid like qualified educator. So we should pay them well because they do literally create every other job out here. Exactly. Weren't for a teacher to create the spark, right? They're, then the students wouldn't go on to something. Everybody had a teacher somewhere that pushed them and convinced them that they could do it. And we need to keep that going. If the teachers go away, I, as I always so I said, I'm worried if we don't have those teachers, then what's going to happen to society? We don't want to have a bunch of second rate engineers and doctors. We, we want to have everyone be the best they can be. We don't want second rate engineers creating our bridges or you get sick and go to the hospital have to be operated by necessarily the lowest doctor that we want everybody to be high quality and have good education for everyone and not just doing things on the cheap Uh, you can't have youtube doctors and youtube engineers it's kind of nice to say well you can go out and google it but you still need that wisdom and we need to that's where teachers are the most important i i always joke that school isn't about learning or knowledge it's about wisdom. We want to eventually get the students to the point where they can recognize what's right and what's wrong, what makes sense and what doesn't. Basically give them a BS meter to know, okay, that makes sense. Or, you know, that doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. And it takes a long time to do that. And that's where the teacher's real job, anybody can find the information, but to teach them how to sort through the information and evaluate it and say, this is how the world works and no, this isn't how the world works. Somebody's feeding you a line of bull. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you've talked about it. You're from Cleveland, born and raised. Yep. No, went to Atlanta for a little bit, moved back. So you know Cleveland in and out. What are three restaurants folks should try when visiting Cleveland? Oh, um, 
Yeah, we have a great restaurant team, but unfortunately, some of my favorite restaurants closed. But um, one of my um, favorites is um, Edwin's. Uh, it's a French restaurant, but it's also it's all run um, by people that have been recently incarcerated and going through and learning how to um, run everything of a restaurant business. So they even have their own bakery, their own butcher shop, and they go through a six to a month, six months a year course where they learn everything, and the food is phenomenal. Um, the Yours Truly is a local chain that has some great breakfasts and burgers, and um, there's another local restaurant that's called Tommy's that has some of the best sandwiches and huge shakes. Oh, man, I love <laughs> me a good shake. I love me a good shake. <laughs> yeah, so Tommy's is a great lunch spot where it's like a great sandwich and a great big shake where and one of the shakes where they they put in the glass and then half of it is still inside the metal tin where they couldn't fit it oh, outside man. the glass <laughs> love that you have like the second serving of the shake <laughs> <laughs> okay so if you had to sell the education profession to someone looking to get into it in one to two minutes what would you use as your elevator pitch? <laughs> I'd probably try to use my Don LaFontaine, the old um, movie trailer voice, in a world where students no longer learn, you can make a difference. I'm just getting people to realize that, as you said, everybody had a teacher or had somebody who pushed them and moved them. And probably use some old tribes like, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, and this is the hardest job you'll ever love. But without it, we don't advance a society. Somebody has got to, if not ignite the spark in children, keep the spark going. Most students come to school wanting to learn. And it's unfortunately lots of other things that put that flame out. We need to make sure that that flame stays alive and kindles and grows. And if not you, who? Nice. No, that's a really strong point too, right? Like school is a safe place for a lot of students. Exactly. <laughs> right. So like think about that. You get to foster and build a safe place for a whole community. Exactly. So to add to your point. All right, so here on National Board Conversations, we have a feature called the shoulder tap. It's when you give a colleague a tap on the shoulder, let them know they're ready to become National Board certified. On here, give them a quick shout out, and then we will encourage them on social media to go through the process. So, Milton Allen, who are you sure to tap into that? <laughs> I'm tapping my colleague Jose Torres in Spanish. <laughs> I know he's going to be mad about it and hate it, but he's a brilliant colleague of mine in, in Spanish and would do very well at that. Um, um, and he's one like another student. He's often he needs that tap to be pushed. He would do well at it, be brilliant at it. He probably figures, oh, I don't have time of the others, but he inspires students in Spanish more than anyone I've and <laughs> I've talked with some people and I hope not they don't offend some of my other teachers, but he's one of the best Spanish teachers I've ever run across in my life and he really should be part of this process and encourage other stu- teachers to go along and follow as well. Amazing, amazing. Milton Allen Turner, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Oh, this has been great. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Milton Allen Turner really brought it with his interview, and I really appreciate his openness and willingness to put it all out there. I want to thank him again for taking the time to join me on the podcast, and thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you find your podcast, and remember to post your I Am an NBCT videos. I would love to see them and get them reposted on our social media. Follow the National Board across social media for all updates related to National Board, and we'll see you next time.